are listening to the most original talk radio station anywhere. We are L.A. Talk Radio at latalkradio.com. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. Sapphire Planet. The Manhattan Project was a research and development program led by the United States with participation from the United Kingdom and Canada that produced the first atomic bomb during World War II. In 1943, development efforts were directed to a gun-type fission weapon with plutonium called Thin Man. Initial research on the properties of plutonium was done using cyclotron-generated plutonium-239, which was extremely pure but could only be created in very small amounts. Los Alamos received the first sample of plutonium from the Clinton X-10 reactor in April 1944. And within days, Emilio Sergei discovered a problem. The reactor-bred plutonium had a higher concentration of plutonium-240, resulting in up to five times the spontaneous fission rate of cyclotron plutonium. Seaborg had correctly predicted in March 1943 that some of the plutonium-239 would absorb a neutron and become plutonium-240. This made reactor plutonium unsuitable for use in a gun-type weapon. The plutonium-240 would start the chain reaction too quickly, causing a pre-detonation that would release enough energy to disperse the critical mass with a minimal amount of plutonium reacted, or aka a fizzle. A faster gun was suggested, but found to be impractical. The possibility of separating the isotopes was considered and rejected, as plutonium-240 is even harder to separate from plutonium-239 than uranium-235 
from Uranium-238. Work on an alternative method of bomb design, known as implosion, had begun earlier in the instigation of the physicist Seth Nettermeyer. Implosion used explosives to crush a subcritical sphere of fissile material into a smaller and denser form. When the fissile atoms are packed close together, the rate of neutron capture increases and the mass becomes a critical mass. The metal needs to travel only a very, very short distance, so the critical mass is to be assembled in much less time than it would take with the gun method. Niedermeyer's 1943 and early 1944 investigations into implosions showed promise, but also made it clear that the problem would be much more difficult from a theoretical and engineering perspective than the gun design. In September 1943, John von Neumann, who had experience with the shaped charges used in armor-piercing shells, argued that not only would implosion reduce the danger of predetonation and fizzle, but would make it more efficient use of the fissionable material. He proposed using a spherical configuration instead of the cylindrical one that Niedermeyer was working on. By July 1944, Oppenheimer had concluded plutonium could not be used in a gun design and opted for implosion. The accelerated effort on implosion design, codenamed Fat Man, began in August 1944 when Oppenheimer implemented a sweeping reorganization of the Los Alamos laboratory to focus on implosion. Two new groups were created at Los Alamos to develop the implosion weapon. X Division was headed by George Kinawaski and G Division under Robert Bacher. The new design that von Neumann and T Division, most notably Rudolf Perls, had devised used explosive lenses to focus the explosion onto a spherical shape using a combination of both slow and fast high explosives. The design of the lenses that detonated with the proper shape and velocity turned out to be slow, difficult, and frustrating. Various explosives were tested before settling on a composition B as the fast explosive and Baratol as the slow explosive. The final design resembled a soccer ball with 20 hexagonal and 12 pentagonal lenses, each weighing about 80 pounds. Getting the detonation just right required fast, reliable, and safe electrical detonators of which there were two for each lens for reliability. It was therefore decided to use exploding bridge wider detonators. A contract for their manufacture was given to Raytheon. With the explosions was the 4.5 inch thick aluminum pusher which provided a smooth transition from the relatively low density explosive to the next layer the three-inch thick tamper of natural uranium. Its main job was to hold the critical mass together as long as possible. It would also reflect neutrons back into the core. Some part of it might fission as well to prevent 
detonation by external neutrons. The tamper was coated with a thin layer of boron. A polybarylum moderated neutron initiator known as an urchin because of its shape resembled a sea urchin was developed by the Monsanto company to start the chain reaction at precisely the right moment. This work with the chemistry of mineralogically of radioactive plutonium was directed by Charles Allen Thomas and became known as the Dayton Project. Testing required up to 500 curies per month of polonium which Monsanto was able to deliver. The whole assembly was encased in a duralinium bomb casing to protect it from bullets and flak. The ultimate task of the myrtologist was to determine how to cast plutonium into a sphere. The difficulties became apparent when the attempts to measure the density of plutonium gave inconsistent results. At first, contamination was believed to be the cause, but it was soon determined that there were multiple allotropes of plutonium. The brittle alpha phase that exists at room temperature changes into the plastic beta phase at higher temperatures. Attention then shifted to the even more malleable delta phase that normally exists in the 300 centigrade to 450 centigrade range. It was found that this was stable at room temperature when alloyed with aluminum, but aluminum emits neutrons when bombarded with alpha particles, which, which would exacerbate the pre-ignition problem. The metallurgist then hit upon a plutonium-gallium alloy, which stabilized the delta phase and could be hot-pressed into the desired spherical shape. A plutonium was found to corrode readily. The sphere was coated with nickel. The work proved dangerous. By the end of the war, half the experienced chemists and metallurgists had to be removed from their work with plutonium when unacceptably high levels of the element appeared in their urine. A minor fire at Los Alamos in January 1945 led to a fear that the fire in the plutonium laboratory might contaminate the entire town, and Groves authorized the construction of a new facility for plutonium chemistry and metallurgy, which became known as the DP site. The hemispheres for the first plutonium pit, or core, were produced and delivered on July 2nd. 1945. Three more hemispheres followed on July 23rd and delivered three days later. Because of the complexity of an implosion-style weapon, it was decided that, despite the waste of fissile material, an initial test would be required. Groves approved the test, subject to the active material being recovered. Consideration was therefore given to a controlled fizzle, but Oppenheimer opted instead for a full-scale nuclear test, codenamed Trinity. In March 1944, planning for the test was assigned to Kenneth Bainbridge, a professor of physics at Harvard, working under Kosowski. Bainbridge selected the bombing range near Alamogordo Army Airfield as the site for the test. Bainbridge worked with Captain Samuel P. Davalos on the construction of the Trinity Base Camp and its facilities, which included barracks, warehouses, workshops, and explosive magazines and commissary. 
Groves did not relish the prospect of explaining the loss of a billion dollars worth of plutonium to a Senate committee. So, a cylindrical containment vessel codenamed Jumbo was constructed to recover the active material in the event of a failure. Measuring 25 feet long and 12 feet wide, it was fabricated at great expense from 214 long tons of iron and steel by Babcock and Wilcox in Barberton, Ohio. Brought in a special railroad car to a siding in Pope, New Mexico. It was transported the last 25 miles to the test site on a trailer pulled by two tractors. By the time it arrived, however, confidence in the implosion method was high enough and the availability of plutonium was sufficient that Oppenheimer decided not to use it. Instead, it was placed atop a steel tower 800 yards away from the weapon as a rough measure of how powerful the explosion would be. In the end, Jumbo survived, although its tower did not, adding credence to the belief that Jumbo would have successfully contained a fizzled explosion. A pre-test explosion was conducted on May 7, 1945 to calibrate the instruments. A wooden test platform was erected 800 yards from ground zero and piled with 100 long tons of TNT spiked with nuclear fission products in the form of irradiated uranium slung from Hanford, which was dissolved and poured into tubing inside the explosive. This explosion was observed by Oppenheimer and Groves' new deputy commander, Brigadier General Thomas Farrell. The pre-test produced data that provided vital for the Trinity test. For the actual test, the, nickname, the weapon, nicknamed the Gadget, was hoisted atop of a 100-foot steel tower, as detonation at that height would give a better indication of how the weapon would behave when dropped from a bomber. Detonation in the air maximized the energy applied directly onto the target and generated less nuclear fallout. The gadget was assembled under the supervision of Norris Bradbury at the nearby McDonald Ranch House on July 13th and precariously winched up to the tower the following day. At 5.30 a.m. on July 16th, 1945, the gadget exploded with the energy equivalent to around 20 kilotons of TNT, leaving a crater of trinitite, which is radioactive glass, in the desert 250 feet wide. The shock wave was felt over 100 miles away, and the mushroom cloud reached 7.5 miles in height. It was heard as far away as El Paso, Texas. So Groves issued a cover story about an ammunition magazine explosion at Alamogordo Field. In June 1944, the Manhattan Project employed some 129,000 workers, of whom 84,500 were construction workers, 40,500 were plant operators, and 1,800 were military personnel. As construction activity fell off, the workforce declined to 100,000 a year later, but the number of military personnel increased to 5,600. 
procuring the required number of workers, especially high-skilled workers, in competition with other vital wartime programs, proved very difficult. In 1943, Groves attained a special temporary priority for labor from the War Manpower Commission. In March 1944, both the War Production Board and the War Manpower Commission gave the project their highest priority. Tolman and Conant, in their roles as project scientific advisors, drew up a list of candidate scientists and had them rated by scientists already working on the project. Groves then sent a personal letter to the head of the university or company asking for them to be released for essential war work. At the University of Wisconsin-Madison, Stanislaw Ullum gave one of his students, Joan Hinton, an exam early so she could leave to do war work. A few weeks later, Ullum received a letter from Hans Beth inviting him to join the project. Conant personally persuaded the explosives expert George Kistkowski to join the project. One source of skilled personnel was the Army itself, particularly the Army Specialized Training Program. In 1943, the MED created the Special Engineer Detachment with the authorized strength of 675 men. Technicians and skilled workers drafted in the Army were assigned to the Special Engineer Detachment. Another source was the Woman's Army Corps, or WAC, initially intended for clerical tasks handling classified material, the WACs were soon tapped for technical and scientific tasks as well. On February 1, 1945, all military personnel assigned to the MED, including all SED detachments, were assigned to the 9812th Technical Service Unit, except at Los Alamos, where military personnel other than SED including the WACs and military police, were assigned to the 4,817th Service Command Unit. The Manhattan Project operated under a blanket of tight security, lest its discovery induces Axis power, especially Germany, to accelerate their own nuclear projects or undertake covert operations against the project. The prospect of sabotage was always present and sometimes suspected when there was equipment failures. While there were some problems believed to be the result of careless or disgruntled employees, there was no confirmed instances of access in cited sabotage. However, on March 10, 1945, a Japanese fire balloon struck a power line and the resulting power surge caused the three reactors at Hanford to be temporarily shut down. With so many people involved, security was a difficult task. A special counterintelligence corps detachment was formed to handle the project's security issues. 
1943, it was clear that the Soviet Union was attempting to penetrate the project. Lieutenant Colonel Boris T. Posh, the head of the counterintelligence branch of the Western Defense Command, investigated suspected Soviet espionage at the radiation laboratory in Berkeley. Oppenheimer informed Posh that he had been approached by a fellow professor at Berkeley, Hakan Shivayar, about passing information to the Soviet Union. The most successful Soviet spy was Klaus Fuchs, a member of the British mission who played an important part at Los Alamos. In the 1950 revelation of Fuchs' espionage activities damaged the United States' nuclear cooperation with Britain and Canada. Subsequently, other instances of espionage were uncovered, leading to the arrest of Harry Gold David Greenglass, and Ethel and Julius Rosenberg. Other spies, like George Koval and Theodore Hall, remained unknown for decades. The value of this espionage is difficult to quantify, as the principal constraint on the Soviet atomic bomb project was a shortage of uranium ore. The consensus is that espionage saved the Soviets one or two years of effort on their own atomic weapon. In addition to developing the atomic bomb, the Manhattan Project was charged with gathering intelligence on the German nuclear energy project. It was believed that the Japanese atomic program was not far advanced because Japan had little access to uranium ore. But it was initially feared that Germany was very close to developing its own weapons. At the instigation of the Manhattan Project, a bombing and sabotage campaign was carried out against heavy water plants in German-occupied Norway. A small mission was created jointly staffed by the Office of Naval Intelligence, OSRD, the Manhattan Project, and the Army Intelligence, G2, to investigate enemy scientific developments. It was not restricted to those involving nuclear weapons. The Chief Army Intelligence Major, General George V. Strong, appointed Boris Posh to command the unit, which was codenamed Alsos, a Greek word meaning grove. The Alsos mission to Italy questioned staff of the physics laboratory at the University of Rome following the capture of the city in June of 1944. Meanwhile, Pash formed a combined British and American Alos mission in London under the command of Captain Horace C. Calvert to participate in Operation Overlord. Groves considered the risk that the Germans might attempt to disrupt the Normandy landings with radioactive poison was sufficient to warn General Dwight D. Eisenhower and send an officer to brief his Chief of Staff, Lieutenant General 
Walter Bettel Smith. Under the code name Operation Peppermint, special equipment was prepared and chemical warfare service teams were trained in its use. Following the wake of the advancing Allied armies, Pash and Calvert interviewed Frederick Juliet Curie about the activities of German scientists. They spoke to officials at Union Minre de Hot Cantaga about uranium shipments to Germany. They tracked down 68 tons of ore in Belgium and 30 tons in France. The interrogation of German prisoners indicated that uranium and thorium was being processed on Orenburg, so Groves arranged for it to be bombed on March 15, 1945. An ALSOS team went to Stasfurt in the Soviet occupation zone and retrieved 11 tons of ore from WIFO. In April 1945, Pash in command of a composite force known as T-Force, conducted Operation Harborage, a sweep behind enemy lines in the cities of Heiken, Binsken, and Herrenloch that were the heart of the German nuclear effort. T-Force captured the nuclear laboratories, documents, equipment, and supplies, including heavy water, and 1.5 tons of metallic uranium. Also's teams rounded up German scientists including Kurt Dubner, Otto Hahn, Walther Gerlach, Werner Hausenberg, and Karl Friedrich von Weisenacker, who were taken to England where they were interned at Farm Hall, a bugged house in God Manchester. After the bombs were detonated in Japan, the Germans were forced to confront the fact that the Allies had done what they could not. Starting in November 1943, the Army Air Force's Material Command at Wright Field, Ohio, began Silver Plate, the code name modification of B-29s to carry the atomic bombs. Test drops were carried out at Murak Army Airfield in California and the Naval Ordnance Test Station in Inyo Kern, California. Groves met with the Chief of the United States Army Air Forces, General Henry H. Arnold, in March 1944 to discuss the delivery of the finished bombs to their targets. The only Allied aircraft capable of carrying the 17-foot-long Thin Man 
or the 59-inch wide Fat Man, was the British Avro Lancaster. But using a British aircraft would have caused difficulties with maintenance. Groves hopes that the American Boeing B-29 Superfortress could be modified to carry Thin Man by joining its two bomb bays together. Arnold promised that no effort would be spared to modify the B-29s to do their job and designated Major General Oliver P. Eccles as the USAAF liaison to the Manhattan Project. In turn, Eccles named Colonel Roscoe C. Wilson as his alternate, and Wilson became the Manhattan Project's main United States Army Air Force contact. President Roosevelt instructed Groves that if the atomic bombs were ready before the war with Germany had ended, he should be ready to drop them on Japan. And also, he wanted them dropped on Germany. The 509th Composite Group was activated on September, on December 17, 1944, at Wendover Army Airfield, Utah, under the command of Colonel Paul W. Tibbets. This base close to the border with Nevada was codenamed Kingman or W-47. Training was conducted at Wendover and at Batista Army Airfield, Cuba, where the 39-3D Bombardment Squadron practiced long-distance flights over water and dropped dummy pumpkin bombs. A special unit known as Alberta was formed at Los Alamos under Captain William S. Parsons as part of the Manhattan Project to assist in preparing and delivering the bombs. Commander Frederick L. Ashworth from Alberta met with Fleet Admiral Chester W. Minnett Nimitz on Guam in February 1945 to inform him about the project. While he was there, Ashworth selected North Field on the Pacific Island Tinian as a base for the 509th Composite Group and reserved space for the group and its buildings. The group deployed there in July 1945. Farrell arrived in Tinian on July 30th as the Manhattan representative. Most of the components for Little Boy left San Francisco on the cruiser USS Indianapolis on July 16th and arrived on Tinian on July 26th. Four days later, the ship was sunk by a Japanese submarine. The remaining components, which included six uranium-235 rings, were delivered by three C-54 Skymasters of the 509th Group's 320th Troop Carrier Squadron.
two Fat Man assemblies, traveled to Tinian, and specially modified 509th Composite Group B-29 airplanes. The first Plutonium Corps were sent in a special C-54. A joint targeting committee of the Manhattan District and the United States Army Air Force was established to determine which cities in Japan should be targeted and recommended Kokura, Hiroshima, Nagata, and Kyoto. At this point, Secretary of War Henry L. Stimson intervened, announcing that he would be making the targeting decisions and that he would not authorize the bombing of Kyoto on the grounds of its historical and religious significance. Groves therefore asked Arnold to remove Kyoto not just from the list of nuclear targets, but from targets of conventional bombing as well. One of Kyoto's substitutes was Nagasaki. In May 1945, the Interim Committee was created to advise on wartime and post-time post-war use of nuclear energy. The committee was chaired by Stimis with James F. Burns, a former U.S. Senator, soon to be Secretary of State, as President Harry S. Truman's personal representative. Ralph A. Bard, the Undersecretary of the Navy, William L. Clayton, the Assistant Secretary of State, Vannevar Bush, Carl T. Compton, James B. Conant, and George L. Harrison, an assistant to Stimson and president of New York Life Insurance Company. The interim committee, in turn, established a scientific panel consisting of Arthur Compton, Fermi, Lawrence, and Oppenheimer to advise it on scientific issues. In its presentation to the interim committee, the scientific panel offered its opinion not just on likely physical effects of an atomic bomb, but on its probable military and, mil and political impact. At the Potsdam Conference in Germany, Truman was told that the Trinity test had been successful. He told Joseph Stalin, the leader of the Soviet Union, that the U.S. had a new super weapon, without giving any details. This was the first communication to the Soviet Union about the bomb. But Stalin already knew about the bomb from his spies. With the authorization to use the bomb against Japan already given, no alternatives were considered after the Japanese rejection of the Potsdam Declaration. On August 6, 1945, 
the 393D Bombardment Squadron, B-29, Enola Gay, piloted and commanded by Tibbets, lifted off with Parsons on board as Weaponeer, and Little Boy in its bomb bay. Hiroshima, an important army depot and port of embarkation, was the primary target of the mission, with Kokura and Nagasaki as alternatives. With Farrell's permission, Parsons completed the bomb assembly in the air to minimize the risks during takeoff. The bomb detonated at an altitude of 1,750 feet with a blast that was estimated to be the equivalent of 13 kilotons of TNT. An area of approximately 4.7 square miles was destroyed. Japanese officials determined that 69% of Hiroshima's buildings were destroyed and another 67% damaged. About 70,000 to 80,000 people, or some 30% of the population of Hiroshima, were killed immediately and another 70,000 injured. On the morning of August 9, 1945, the B-29 boxcar, piloted by the 393D Bombardment Squadron Commander Major Charles W. Sweeney, lifted off with a fat man on board. This time, Ashworth served as the weaponeer, and Kakura was the primary target. Sweeney took off with the weapon already armed, but with the electrical safety plugs still engaged. When they reached Kokura, they found cloud cover had obscured the city, prohibiting the visual attack required by orders. After three runs over the city, and with fuel running low, they headed for the secondary target, Nagasaki. Ashworth decided that a radar approach would be used if the target was obscured, but a last-minute break in the clouds over Nagasaki allowed visual approach as ordered. The fat man was dropped over the city's industrial valley midway between the Mitsubishi Steel and Arms Works in the south and the Mitsubishi Ukurami Ordnance Works in the north. The resulting explosion had a blast equivalent to 21 kilotons of TNT, roughly the same as the Trinity blast, but was confined to the Urakami Valley, and a major portion of the city was protected by the intervening hills. About 44% of the city was destroyed, 350,000 people were killed, and 60,000 were injured.
Groves, expected to have another atomic bomb ready for use on August 19th, with three more in September and a further three in October. Two more Fat Men assemblies were ready. The third corps was scheduled to leave Kirtland Field for Tinian on August 12th. Robert Bacher was packaging it at the Ice House at Los Alamos when he received word. However, when the Japanese initiated surrender negotiations, Groves ordered the shipment suspended. On August 11th, Groves phoned Warren with, or with orders to organize a survey team to report on the damage and radioactivity at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. A party equipped with portable Geiger counters arrived in Hiroshima on September 8th, headed by Farrell and Warren, with Japanese Rear Admiral Masayo Suzuko, who acted as a translator. They remained in Hiroshima until September 14th, and then surveyed Nagasaki from September 19th to October 8th. This and other scientific missions to Japan will provide valuable scientific and historical data. The necessity of bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki became a subject controversy among historians. Some question whether an atomic diplomacy would not have attained the same goals and disputed whether the bombings or the Soviet declaration of war on Japan was decisive. David H. Frisch recounts that alternative proposals, such as a technical demonstration of the atomic explosion to the Japanese, were circulated among scientists, but in the end were not carefully analyzed. The Frank Report was the most notable effort pushing or in demonstration, but it was turned down by the Interim Committee's scientific panel. A 1945 Life article estimated that probably no more than a few dozen men in the entire country knew the full meaning of the Manhattan Project, and perhaps only a thousand others even were aware that the work on Adams was involved. The magazine wrote that more than 100,000 others employed with the project worked like moles in the dark warned that disclosing the project's secrets was punishable by 10 years in prison or a $10,000 fine. They saw enormous quantities of raw materials enter factories with nothing coming out and monitored dials and switches while behind thick concrete walls mysterious reactions took place. Without knowing the purpose of their jobs the results amazed them as much as the rest of the world. Newspapers in Oak Ridge announcing the Hiroshima bomb sold for one dollar. In anticipation of the bombings, Groves had Henry DeWolf Smith prepare a history for public consumption. 
The Atomic Energy for Military Purposes, better known as the Smith Report, was released to the public on August 12, 1945. Groves and Nichols presented Army-Navy E-Awards to key contractors, whose involvement have hereto been secret. Over 20 awards for the Presidential Medal of Merit were made to key contractors and scientists, including Bush and Oppenheimer. Military personnel received the Legion of Merit, including the commander of the Women's Army Corps Detachment, Captain Arlene G. Schnittelin. At Hanford, plutonium production fell off as reactors B, D, and F wore out. Poison, if you will, by fission products and swelling of the graphite moderator known as the Winger effect. The swelling damaged the cha charging tubes where the uranium was irradiated to produce plutonium, rendering them unstable. In order to maintain the supply of polonium for enrichment in its issue, production was curtailed and the oldest unit, B-Pile, was closed down so that at least one reactor would be available in the future. Research continued with DuPont, developing a redox solvent extrication process as an alternative plutonium extraction technique to the phosphate process, which left unspent uranium in a state from which it could not be easily recovered. Nowhere was demobilization more of a problem than at Los Alamos, where there was an exodus of talent. Much remained to be done. The bombs used on Hiroshima and Nagasaki were like laboratory pieces. Work would be required to make them simpler, safer, and more reliable. Implosion methods needed to be developed for uranium in place of the wasteful gun method, and composite uranium-plutonium cores were needed now that plutonium was in short supply because of the problems with the reactors. However, uncertainty about the futures of the laboratories made it hard to induce people to stay. Oppenheimer returned to his job at the University of California and Groves appointed Norris Bradbury as the interim replacement. In fact, Bradbury would remain at the post for the next 25 years. Groves attempted to combat the dissatisfaction caused by the lack of amenities with a construction program that included an improved water supply, 300 houses, and recreation facilities. Two fat man type detonations were conducted at Bikini Atoll in July 1946 as part of Operation Crossroads to investigate the effect of nuclear weapons on warships. Able was detonated on July 1, 1946. The more spectacular Baker was detonated underwater on July 25, 1946. In the face of destructiveness of this new weapons and the anticipation of a nuclear arms race, several project members, including Bohr, Bush, and Conant, expressed the view that it was necessary to reach agreement on international control of nuclear research and atomic weapons. The Baruch Plan, unveiled in a speech to the newly formed United Nations Atomic Energy Commission in June 1946, proposed the establishment of an International Atomic Development Authority, but it was not adopted. 
following a domestic debate over the permanent management of nuclear program, the United States Atomic Energy Commission was created by the Atomic Energy Act of 1946 to take over the functions and assets of the Manhattan Project. It established civilian control over atomic development and separated the development, production, and control of atomic weapons from the military. Military aspects were taken over by the Armed Forces Special Weapons Project, although the Manhattan Project ceased to exist on December 31, 1946, the Manhattan District would remain until it too was abolished on August 15, 1947. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.